Our scripture this reading um, this morning uh, comes from Deuteronomy and Malachi and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So uh, buckle in. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispose to serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of, the, out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in their own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you shall live in safety, then to that place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you, take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings that at any place that you see, but at that place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Now from Malachi. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you shall say, but you say, How have I robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Deuteronomy 14. You shall tithe all the yield of your, seal, of your seed that comes from the year, from the field year by year. And Leviticus 27. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. This is the word of God. Once again, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, yeah, exciting news about the them closing on the property, uh, Project 658, and um, uh, went by there, lots of commotion 
going on over there, tearing stuff down, which is a good thing, because they're building stuff back up at the same time. And so it looks like sometime this summer, as early as possibly August, that's the last part of summer, August, that um, we, we might be moving over there. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, I didn't expect it this quickly. Even though they told us it could be that quickly, I still didn't imagine. So um, here we are, and um, God's been good to us. And um, this is our last sermon in this uh, four-week money and uh, giving series. Um, And next week, we will begin a new sermon series on loving your neighbor, loving uh, your neighbor. Uh, But today, we end this series with three questions I hope will be confirmation for many, but a, a new beginning for others in God's freedom to give and be and live as a generous, generous person, a generous people of God. First question, how much should I be giving? How much should I be giving? Secondly, where is and where should the money I give be going? And finally, why? Why should I give as much as I do to where it goes? How much, where, and why? So, how much should I give? How much should I, how much should you, how much should we, who claim to be gods, be giving? Look at verse 6 in your Deuteronomy 12 passage. Read this together. I mean, I'll read it if you just... Listen, and there shall you bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And then the Malachi uh, scripture uh, says this, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You have your curse with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then, of course, the Leviticus passage. It says here, um, and every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsmen's staff shall be holy to the Lord. And finally, the other Deuteronomy passage, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. How much should we give? It is clear, um, if you look at all these verses, that they have the same thing in this comment. It is clear that we can start with the idea of a tithe. Giving 10% of your wages, your income, and with Leviticus declaring all that passes underneath the rod. It means all that is produced to you that year or that comes in from the fields. If a hundred sheep were born that year, 10 belong to the Lord. If a hundred pounds of grain that year, then 10 pounds belongs to the Lord. You get the gist. And this tithe to the Lord is not to be viewed, and here's the significant point, as ever being yours that that you give to the Lord. It is always, as it is talked about in Scripture in context, it is always declared in the Bible as already belonging to the Lord. 
Thus the Malachi scripture declaring that you rob God. You didn't just withhold it from him. Worse, since it was his at its coming to be, you actually took it from God. That it so much belonged to him that in a later chapter, Deuteronomy teaches that if you could not get your tithe to give to the Lord, if for some reason you were were too far away from the church or, or you were too poor or too hungry, let's say you got 10 chicken legs for a family of 12 you got to give one of those chicken legs away, right? You think about the time. You were to take one of those legs, the Bible says, and you were to hustle it off. You were to sell it off since it is not yours to actually eat and then take the money you get from it. And the Bible says, go buy another leg or two or just or maybe something else this time and eat whatever you sold it for in the presence of the Lord as if it was a special privilege, a mercy offering from God to you. It is like saying, look, we can't afford the tithe. We literally are going to starve if we can't tithe. So it is saying, give it back to God. Offer it up to him as if it is his and you are taking it, you are borrowing it, you are eating it from it. And it actually becomes a mercy gift from God to you. So if you have to use it to survive or get used to it or whatever, thank God for the money. Thank God especially for this, his money, and eat and be happy before the Lord. It should still be seen as spending and using what is already his. Think about my dad's wallet. What that cash I knew he had in the sock drawer. Something comes up and he's not around. What do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you, be very careful. (laughs) That you really need to go in there and get it. Not the ice cream truck. Boy, that was a temptation. Y'all don't have ice cream trucks anymore. Do y'all? They still have the ice cream truck guy? Okay. Okay, y'all get it. Not the candy at the 7-Eleven. Maybe to pay the lawnmower guy whom your dad promised to pay, but he needed you to do it. So it's not a guilt thing, right? So, so, so if, if, if you're at a point for some reason where you can't tithe, it's not a guilt thing. But the money is still your daddy's who loves you and will keep you. But he calls you to love and respect him as the father in your money, to love and respect him as if you're spending something you have to spend or can't give it in the plate because it has to go somewhere else. You need to recognize and live that and pray over that and thank God for it in a special way. That is tithing. It's not actually tithing because you're not putting the 10% in the plate, but it is tithing in a sense where you're tithing in your heart. Lord, this is yours. I know we got to spend it because this is happening and that's happening, but Lord, it is yours. And we as a family recognize that you've blessed us with mercy over it. With that, let me help you further here and it will or may apply later. The fact that in the Old Testament you had to exchange the tithe to buy something. You couldn't just eat it and then eat it in the presence of the Lord meant there was some community reality to how that tithe was spent. People saw the exchange of money. Your family, you, the butcher down the street. Let me explain what is true and we'll, we'll see more clearly as we go along. If you can't give to the Lord, I am sorry. I know if you're a believer, you wish you could 
So if you are a part of this fellowship, this church fellowship, then you may need to talk to somebody else, a friend or someone who can hold you accountable for your budget, maybe some help getting to where God would have you to be. And for some of us, as as you discover, you need accountability because you should be or could really be giving a lot more than 10%. You see, maybe you need some mercy ministry, right? I can't give 10% right now. Why? What is going on? Like, 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 why can't you give to the Lord? Why aren't you free to give to the Lord what is already his? What's going on? Well, it means you need some mercy ministry. Well, it is the most shameful mercy ministry to ask for, it seems, right? I can't give right now because this is bad. Because what happened as you begin to look, maybe some of you can't give because you're spending on the wrong things. Maybe some of us can't give because there's some, been some bad financial decisions in our past. Some of us can't give because there really has been a famine of sort. There's been job loss. There's been unforeseen circumstances. There's all kind of issues involved. And all of those things, whether if it's something you couldn't control happen to you or whether it was something that you did wrong in your books, it all seems to make you feel shamed. But what is God talking about here? He's talking to a promised people. He's talking to a promised people in a promised land, and in that there is no shame. We, we have to stop living ashamed and afraid to say, hey, look, I'm not at the place where I can give. I need to exchange it. I need to eat from it. I need to pray over it. My brother, my sister, I need you to see what's going on. I need you to understand. Hey, my church, my deacons, my elders, whatever, I need some money. I need some help. I need some guidance. Please help me because I can't give to the Lord, and it makes me hurt. Help me. This is part of what it means to be in a promised land. There is no shame. Mercy is yours. I mean, I hate, to, I hate it too, but I've had to work hard and get outside help to be able to give what I could and should over and against and working against debts and bad decisions and all kinds of stuff. I'm not one of these elite giving kind of people who's had it all together and can budget so well. It's not me. But moving on with this tithe thing, when we look at this list of givings in Deuteronomy 12, 6, and even Malachi, and especially New Testament, we can see that the tithe is a bare minimum giving. How can I explain it? It's the minimum payment due on your credit card bill. Y'all know that amount, right? You got a debt of $5,000 on the bill. Pay 20 and we won't call you, right? Pay $10 is the minimum payment due on a big bill. Well, the tithe is a minimum payment due, right? You're not robbing God. You are not, uh, uh, you know, in that situation. But how can I explain? You know, again, hear me rightly. For some of you, you began the journey at 0%. And so we do praise God for the ability to do 10% or any percentage. It's the fact that you think about it. But, but I just have to make sure that we don't fall into the trap that stops us from being able to give more. To compel us to give more. We get bound and chained by the minimum payment due when Scripture clearly says it's tithes and offerings. 
It's tithes and gifts. When we look at the scriptures, we see lists, you know, in Deuteronomy, and we look throughout the Old Testament, we see lists of various offerings here, and then special givings. Let me tell you about those. Any kind of feast, there were about seven a year for the Israelites, um, in addition to their tithe, all of which call for giving. And then you have offerings, which back then were given when you sinned intentionally, unintentionally, wanted to say thank you to God, wanted to celebrate the togetherness of your people you were with, with God, or if you got a rash and need to be purified, and then the days during those feasts and special occasions that you couldn't work, not to mention that you were supposed to leave some grain on the ground after harvest to provide some for the poor. Now, when you add up the, the offerings and the tithe in the Old Testament, it's like 30% of your income. If you were to give to all these festivals and offerings and feast and all these sort of things. And then in the New Testament church, Paul and the apostles blew this thing out of the water, calling to give so that no one was in need in the church, so that there was no poverty among God's people, even calling some to give until it hurt. They were cutting Big Macs in half at dinner time, right? No one could get the extra value meal. Two people per one extra value meal to give to the Lord. And if we were to ask, how much should I be giving of what I earn? The answer, barring special issues, is a desire, a drive, a hopeful goal to give something more than what God, what already belongs to God, 10%. I like this passage of Deuteronomy because it says that, the, that God, in bringing them to the promised land, a new place according to verse 20, which you don't have, that he that will expand the land for many, which meant more to give than a percentage they were able to give while they were living out of tents. They were going to a more fruitful place than the desert, which means, yes, more to give, but more reason to give, more thanks, more people to feed before the Lord, more to give to the poor. The percentage thing is a call to consider, a heart check. It's basically a 10% open door, right? Just a little open door to start the freedom to find more ways to be generous. The tithe is a buy-in, enough to begin a giving account before God. It opens the books. It opens our accounts before God and his desire for us. I promise you this. You don't want to hear this from pastor, but I promise you this. If you, if you're giving, if you begin to give God at 10%, I promise you, he will find ways to get more. Don't y'all like that? If you come in at what's already his at 10%, I promise you, God is so good. He will find ways in your budget after working hard to get the 10% to give more to the kingdom. Isn't he an awesome God? How does he do that? It's amazing what God can do with God's people, right? If you open up at 20%, he'll find a way to get more. So be thoughtful about your budget, the subsequent giving budget. Make it a family thing. Think about what you give is important as seeing you, you, you have the right amount in your paycheck and checking your stock earning statements or your interest-bearing saving stuff. But, but, but all that kind of stuff aside, where is my money going? Where should it be going as I give it to the Lord and his religious institutions on earth? 
it should be going to this people. This people. Look with me at Deuteronomy verses 4 through 7, and then we'll look at 11 through 12. He's talking about when they come into a new promised land, there's going to be all kind of different ways to worship. There's going to be all kind of altars. There's going to be all kind of newfangled people they're coming in contact with. And it says this in verse 4. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, meaning the idol way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There, there you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 12. And you shall rejoice for the Lord your God, you and your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your town, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Your money is going to the people who are associated with this church and ministered to by this church, Christ Central Church, the members, the friends, and missionaries, and people that are recognized as our family, or parish, or neighborhood. Now, we covered this in some length a a sermon ago or two, but where is and should your money be going? Where is it going? I can tell you. To people's phone bills and counseling that is saving their marriages and sense of worth to some, to folk who need help getting their cars fixed, to there's nothing exciting about this list, right? Yeah and no. To missionaries, right? And, and missions like those, like the Nota School of Arts, uh, serving and uplifting undeserved youth and their families through affordable arts exposure and exposition to Elizabeth Trent over in Spain, to this people in this church who have needs and issues and problems and all sorts of things that come before the church and say, help me. In the book of Acts, when the church first started, the types of people, they attracted because of the gospel message of mercy and grace were who? The widows and the homeless and the needy and folks without nice manners who don't say no when they didn't bring as much. You know what it reminds me of? Y'all might not be Martin fans, so y'all don't know. Bro man from the fifth floor. Right? Martin show up in an apartment. What brother man doing? Wearing Martin robe, eating out of Martin's fridge. And he just gives a nod. What you doing? Chilling. Brother man, what you doing eating my food? Was hungry. Brother man just has like two words, three word statement. Was hungry. See ya. And he walks out the window and goes back up to his apartment on the fifth floor. For some of you, you were the Seinfeld fans. Think about Kramer. What did Kramer do? I'm old, y'all. I can't think of no new shows. But what did Kramer do? Come in the, what's the man, Jerry's apartment and go straight to where? The fridge. 
You might show up and Kramer might be sleeping on your couch. And if you come to him, Kramer, what are you doing? He does one of these things. Why am I saying that? That's the kind of people the church reaches. Folk who come and say, I'm hungry. I'm from the fifth floor. What's up? Y'all got a church fellowship? When we used to have pizza luncheon on every second Sunday, back in the day when we first started, the church would be filled on second Sunday. I began to notice there were certain people who just came on those days. And you know what? Praise the Lord. Our giving goes to those people, this people, you people. This is why we give. There's no secret to it. I remember we had the pizza luncheon. All of a sudden, we had the bicycle crew. Anybody remember the bicycle crew? Sixth and seventh grade boys showing up over there, and they just bring their bikes. They usually used to leave them on the sidewalk, piled up over here on the other side on second Sunday. They'd come in right at the end of my sermon, you know, because they knew we were having a pizza lunch. Like, what's y'all's story? We hungry. Okay, come on in. Put your bikes in. No talking. Be quiet. There are some, you know, folk, hey, y'all can't talk up in the back of church. Just chill. There, there are kids who come in and just start drinking coffee. Why are you drinking so much? You're a kid. We hungry. That's it. Where's your money go? This people. And Paul would put out in a letter the needs and a call to give. So where's our money going? To God's people, to people with God's people, so that they can be with each other and with God and even get the privilege to get to the privileged place to give and give more themselves. And with that said, tithes and offerings should go not only towards this people, but towards this present circumstance. Circumstance. Now we've mentioned already that sometimes it goes towards your own issues, poverty and circumstances. When you take the, your tithe and offering, exchange it to eat and survive off of it. Yeah, we got that very first thing. But beyond that, as I also mentioned earlier, to feasts and celebrations and special needs. In the Old Testament, sometimes if a priest was being ordained or building was rebuilt, like the tabernacle and the temple, money and time, temple, money and time and talents were given to make that stuff happen. It means that when there is a special event in the life of our church, like a church anniversary, we give more to that. There's just Having ten, there, and, and there is just having the temple building needs where God's people would give towards, and then the year of Jubilee where more was given to the poor. Paul asked in, in the New Testament for more to counter a time of famine in the life of another church. This circumstance. Where's your money going now? No secret. Right now, it's the Roots Initiative. How much are we going to hear about the Roots Initiative? As long as it's going on, you're going to hear about it, right? We have the Roots Initiative going. It has become obvious that after 10 years, we need to grow up by growing deeper and more stable. Ibrahim already did this part of my sermon, but I'm going to do it again. Right now, we need a new place to worship and do ministry and have more space for our children's youth, nursery, outreach, and learning communities. 
Right now, we need to have more savings in the bank instead of play, playing it close and living fearful in ministry that costs money, uh, has money decisions involved. Right now, it's time to let Charlotte know that God has put us here to minister to them and to let it be made loud and clear who we are. And right now, we need staff to work to bring and nurture long-term spiritual growth in our children's lives and in unreached people groups in Charlotte through church planting. This is what it is going on and to now. This is where your money is being given to and going to in a special and more abundant and sacrificial way now to such a time and money and calling as this right now. This is my money. This is where my money is going. Where's my money going and where should it be going? To this present circumstances, circumstance, oftentimes defined by unforeseen circumstance, both good and bad in the life of God's people and God's community. God's sovereign. We don't always know where it's going to go. Sometimes we look back at 10 years of budget here at Christ Central Church. Every year there's something going on. I remember one year there was some serious marriage issues all over the church. And like... One third or something like some crazy number at that point was going toward marriage counseling to get professional help for folk. We don't know. This circumstance. One time was given so that we could build the underground. Right over there with them stairs, there was nothing but a floor. Right? We dug down, got the underground space. Used to be a little uh, 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 basement garage. Is now a, I mean, we don't know. But we have this opportunity and calling that God's put in place for us through the Roots Initiative. And as we look at the text further, we see that your giving should go to the priesthood. And here's where I get nervous to talk about it, right? Look with me at verse 12. No? Yeah, yeah. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male servants, your female servants. Now, this is after the offering and all that stuff's been done. And the Levite that is within your town since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Wow. So the preacher get to have some food too, right? That's what it's saying. Because priests back then didn't have an inheritance, which means they had no land. They had no... And long-term investments, if you will. Now, things have kind of changed a little bit. But, you know, it used to be when I, when I was in Baltimore, I lived in the manse. That was like the church house. Well, they've changed and got sophisticated, and now they do housing allowances instead of a church manse. And it's not, it's a ta- untax, it's non-taxable kind of thing like a church manse would be for the pastor. And all that kind of stuff is going on today. But <laughs> this is about... It is still biblical and right and holy and true, and it should weigh on your heart that your money is and should be going to care for the priests, or in present-day Protestantism, the pastors and ministers among you. Later in this chapter, it says, don't neglect the priest. This is a call not to neglect the priest because the priest could not, it did not have land of their own again, but the tribes broken up into different zones would give them housing and from their sacrifice brought to the temple, the priest would eat from. So here's how it worked. You would bring your, your sacrifice, whether it was a lamb or a bull, and that thing would go down in the boil or it'd go on top of the grill, right? And then they'd hold it there and it'd flame up, I guess, in some supernatural way or something. And then whatever came off on the fork, Yeah, 
That was the priest, right? And that's why Eli and his sons got in trouble because they'd bring like a side of beef and they were cutting the prime rib, the ribeye, and the filet mignon off first. And then they were giving it to the Lord. People be bringing their thing to put the whole thing and then give me that thing. They became butchers instead of priests. Just cutting that thing up, putting it on the side. But what it's saying is when you bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord, whatever is left, whatever percentage, whatever the Lord has deemed fit, whatever left on that fork, it goes to the priest. But if there are no tithes and offerings, guess what? The priesthood stops. And that's exactly what happened in Malachi, that there was so little tithe, there was so little giving, that priests stopped doing priesthood stuff. There, there was a whole group of people. You had the people, the high priests, you had the folk who helped run the temple, helped keep the grounds clean, maybe help paint some stuff. There was a whole group, priests, uh, a group of people who ran the church. For us, it's me and the staff, right? And, and so what happened is it got so bad. It got so slim that priests had to go back to work and not be at the temple. Strange enough, the temple suffered. And people stopped going to temple. People stopped going to church because they weren't sure a priest was going to be there that day. Right? We got the sacrifice coming. You got 200 people bringing bulls. There's only one priest working today. Oh, man, forget this. I'll just do it at home. And that's what went on. Simply put, your money goes toward taking care of your pastors and their church support staff, admin, children's person, worship stuff. Your money cares for us to care for you. The staff and I only like the priests in the Bible will be taken care of only as people give. I'm not selling sermon tapes out the back of my trunk. Or, you know, the mixtapes I got. I'm not doing that either. Um, You can tell I'm not. Okay. Um, Your money's not going toward me, but for the God-given ordained priesthood itself, the pastor itself, which your pastors are a part of. And all of these, where your money is going, have one common where? This place. This church, or let me be careful, because some of y'all aren't part of this church, a church of which you are a part of. Why is it so important? Let's look at verse 1. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that, you, that the Lord your God, of your, the God of your fathers has given you to possess. All the days that you live on earth, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess Serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down the altars and dash into pieces their pillars and burn down their ashram with fire. You shall chop down their carved images and their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There shall you go and there shall you bring all these offerings. Take your tithes and offerings to the place the Lord has set up, and it changed over the history of Israel, but a place of the Lord's choosing for you. 
Throughout Scripture, there is this disappointment of God with his people when they would have a renegade altar, a family altar, a leftover altar from the people who lived there before. And let me say, a convenient altar, a place where you can be your own priest and determine your own sacrifice and be separated from God's people as priests in some way, all strictly forbidden. They were to bring their tithes and offerings to the place connected with the God of Israel. Simply put, for the day and for the New Testament churches, it was bring it to the church to the institution, to the priesthood, to the elders, into the offering plate so they can be given and handled rightly, so it can be handled well for your own good so that you and your giving have accountability. You see, back then, the the people who weren't believers believed that they could manipulate God with their money. And apart from the accountability of God's chosen oversight in the priesthood and the law, people began to see and believe and determine and do all kind of crazy things with their money. You know what half the problem happened in Charlotte back with PTL and all that stuff? And all that TV evangelism? And people getting rich, send your send you offering in. Touch the screen, God's going to bless you. Because folk were doing church at home. People were doing church on their own. I'm going to give where I want to give. You know, I'm going to watch TV. Oh, that man needs my money. Or this person needs my money. And all of a sudden, there becomes this this, this strange altar, this, this other place and way of giving outside of accountability for people who can say, you know what? No, you, you can't give this way. And this is what the Word of God says. Instead of you doing church and you doing your own priesthood on your own, this is where stuff gets messed up. You know, at the end of this chapter, it talks about, please, don't be like these people and begin burning your children on the altar. How did they get to that place? How did they get to the place crazy enough where they would take their children and sacrifice them on the altar? Because they're giving outside of God's accountability and care for how they give. We're crazy. Alone, we're crazier. Trust me, if I didn't have y'all and I didn't come every week and I began to come up with my own religious thoughts with all the seminary training I have, trust me, it would be dangerous what I'd come out with. I have had some really incredible self-God ideas about my money. And they've all been wrong outside of Scripture outside of accountability. But why? Why give? By giving tithes and offerings allowed for God to have relationship with his people and then relationship with with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The offerings as given to God gave grace to God's people. Why give? When you give, you give unto grace. Look with me at verse 7 quickly. And, um, and there you shall eat before, the, this is after they bring the offerings, and there shall you eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all, you, all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And then in verse 10, but when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety... Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you. 
wonder why we have supper every week. We don't have it this week because we have the baptism. We're going to have it next week, though. To give you grace that the Lord offers you. To give you spiritual food for your soul. But let me remind you of what your giving means in this sacrament. What you gave provided the bread and wine. Of this sacrament, bread and wine is not free. And through the sacrament that your money bought, you receive what you could not have purchased. The grace of God, spiritual food, spiritual strength, spiritual power for your soul, for your lives. When a missionary can give the word of God to someone for salvation, your money held by that. Kids get devotions every morning at the Notice School of Arts. The word of life comes to them because you give money to it. Through your tithes and offerings, marriages that would have been lost or healed. Marriages that aren't reconciled to God and partners not reconciled to each other are as grace if given and received in counseling. People who are lonely out there come into a church and there's meals and there's lunches and there's breakfasts and all kind of stuff that God's people pay for through this church and grace is given in those things. Through your tithes and offerings, a lonely college student comes to hear that they are not alone, but here is a loving God who can redeem them. But what, what about the grace received within? Your money was important. Through, through your tithes and offerings in this church, beautiful, contextualized worship music communicates and encourages and brings God's people to worship him, worship that gives grace to those that sing and hear this message. Through our tithes and offerings right now, there are young people being taught and treated with the glory of the gospel. Kids brought into and cared for by God's people in the underground, they're receiving grace. When you give your money, you afford your pastors the opportunity to care for your souls and to study and read. And let me say this, you give me time to hear from God. I can sit in my office, I can read a lot of books and pray a lot. And Wells will tell you, put all kind of crazy stuff on a dry erase board that, that I bought and with markers that run out because I use it so much. And, and, and I can listen to my music and get inspired and be on the floor praying and all. You paid for that. But guess what? God uses that to bring grace through the preaching of his word. When you give your money to this people, to this church, to this place, to this present circumstance, you give grace. You remember some of you who grew up in church-going family, how strict folks got when it was time to say grace at dinner? Try to eat without saying grace and see what happens. Right? You get popped. You go to reach. What? What you doing? Say your grace. And you say it real fast. Sometimes in my house, if you said it real fast, you had to say it again with feeling. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for food. Amen. Uh-uh. Nope. Put the food down. Put, the, put, the, put it down. Say it. And then what happened every time, but it's every now and then, mom and dad. Wait. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> no, because I'm hungry. But if you're hungry, you say it like you mean it, right? You pray a two-sentence prayer, right? Just, just eat. What the Bible is teaching us about saying your grace is this. When you give, you say thanks. It forces you to stop and be thankful. 
In other words, it makes you tell the story to yourself. Together at this table with others believing with you, tell the story of this food by giving thanks. Tell and remember the story of how God, this is what grace can actually mean, how God gave mom and daddy the money, the means, and even the good sense to feed you. Tell the story of how this is not deserved, but it's here only because of the grace of God. Now eat with the story in mind and hopefully in heart in your giving. When we look at the Old Testament gifts, here is what is strange. God doesn't need it. He asks for it because he wants it. Wants not it, but he wants us. The scripture says God asks us to give so we can eat where? The scripture tells us before and with him. I've heard it said, when you give your offering, it's like you standing in the plate. God don't want your money. He wants you. And he gets you when we, by grace, give our money to him. He wants you to be with him. The different offerings proclaim their guilt before God. These offerings mentioned in, in, in verse 6, their fallen bloody nature and, and the receiving of gifts as an offering of reconciliation said, we are God's people. And the God of the Bible is our God. And he is with us. And that he has made us okay with him. Do you realize that eating back then and bringing your part to your table to eat was a very intimate thing? It meant family and our tithes and offerings and the freedom to give proclaims something very bold. We are the children of God and he accepts us. And so he received and accepts our offering. He calls on us, so he does call for us to come to him with our offerings. When I was younger, these kids, did I say something about let the children come? No, Jesus said something about that. Um, When I was younger, I would go out in the yard, I'd pick some flowers for my mom. I remember those days so clearly. And I remember what my dad would say on the way to the kitchen. Howard, please put those weeds back. (laughs) Well, not back. Please throw those weeds out of my house. Do not bring those weeds. But they're nice little dandelion flowers. You know, them little yellow things that are real convenient to get. And it was funny. They were in everybody's yard. They're in such great abundance. It must have been God's blessing. But he got his too, right? Man, remember in seventh grade back in the old days when they had shop? They don't have shop anymore because there ain't enough money. No more shop teachers around. You had shop, and you would go in there, and you'd work with wood, and you'd make stuff. Man, I came out there with a tie rack for my dad. That thing wasn't sanded down great. It was rough. If he had a silk tie, I was going to get torn on that thing nails. It was great. And I'm like, Daddy, this is for your ties. That was when guys wore ties every day. My dad had a lot of them. 
And back in the 70s, they were like this wide. So entire rack, you know, looked like a drying rack. And um, I remember how, as an adult, looking back, how ugly that thing was. He didn't need to put that tie rack up, but he did. I remember my mom would get the best vase in the house and put those weeds in it. Man, looking back, I realize that my gifts and their acceptance of my gifts was more about their love for me than what I was actually giving them. Christ has become our righteous vase, if you will. And our offerings are but weeds. Our gifts are not up to par with what God would hang his name and his glory on. He needs a whole lot more money to be something he could hang his glory on or something that would equal his awesomeness. But of out of his love for us, he sent Christ so that our tithes and our offerings would be used in ways that give him glory and pleasure and peace and call us to know his love like we couldn't know it if we didn't get the opportunity to give. He is the merchant of grace. And it is we who receive it when we give. 